Welcome to the Discovery Pod, where we talk to leading experts from the University of Adelaide about solutions to society's most pressing challenges. Single-use plastics will be banned Australia-wide from the year 2025, but will we be prepared for these changes? To discuss this topic, I'm joined by Professor Rachel Burton, a plant molecular biologist with a strong interest in emerging crops and Professor Jean Zhou, expert in sustainable construction. So to begin this discussion, Rachel, can we explain the new changes in relation to single-use plastics? So one of the changes has already happened. So from the 1st of March uh, in South Australia, um, three types of um, single-use plastics were banned. So this is um, plastic drinking straws, um, plastic um, one-use uh, cutlery, so knives and forks, and then those little stirrer things that you get for your coffee. So those are the three that um, are being phased out, have been phased out um, now. Um, we've done this in South Australia. I think um, Queensland will follow suit in about September. And then next year, um, polystyrene items will be um, essentially phased out. So these are um, plates, cups, um, bowls, those um, clamshell um, containers that you get for your um, takeaway food, etc. So they're next um, in the firing line next year. Mm. And then, as you said, 2025, we hope that the whole of Australia will be single-use plastic wow. free. So how do they um, practically make that happen? Is there a fine if you buy single-use plastics or are they just stopped, have they just kind of been banned to even be produced in the first place? So I think they're mainly aiming at suppliers and mm. retailers now so that, you know, those items won't be available. You just can't buy them. Um, you can buy them uh, still or they are available. So if for health reasons you need to use straws, um, so they, they'll be available in health centres and, and for people that, that do need them. But I think, you know, eventually we, won't, we just won't, won't be able to get them. So if you go into the supermarket, for example, to buy uh, single-use cutlery, they'll be made from different materials and that's where, you know, that innovation comes in to try and find replacements. I think it's going to be interesting when we go to the grocery store with the supermarket because, you know, you've got to put your apples in something. So um, those single-use plastic bags that we, we, we're so fond of um, will go as well. So we, we, South Australia Australians very good at uh, using reusable shopping bags, but what about those single-use plastic bags? We'll have to find alternatives for those. Right, so that's a big change and quite a tight goal time frame. 2025 will come very quickly, I'm sure. Do you think we're ready for those changes? Do we have sustainable alternatives? I think we're ready. Um, there has been an amazing explosion of um, alternatives and uh, lots of people are working very hard on this and, so, and some of the stuff that's coming out is really smart. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, you know, uh, if it keeps going uh, the way it's going, it's, it's going to be really, really good. And, and I think we should be able to do it. Mm. Um, we've got plenty of resources and plenty of, of smart people around to be able to do it. Yeah, and South Australia seems like the perfect place to begin. It does. We're very, uh, we've got lots of ideas and we're all pretty compliant when it comes to the environment. Um, so can you describe some of those uh, new developments that are, that are happening? What are the projects and what, what kind of materials are they using? So I can give you an example of three projects and, and sort of at different scale. One's really local. So one's a, a, a very small startup company called Mr Rye in South Australia. And they essentially have been looking at how to replace single-use plastic straws. And 
you could argue that you can replace plastic with paper, but there's still issues with paper and we probably don't really want to be using trees to make straws. Um, and so they've gone back to cereal crops and cereal crops. So if you think about, you know, how wheat or rye or barley grow, they have a stalk and then they have the head on the top with the grain and we use the grain, we eat that. But you can use the stalk because it's hollow mm. and it's like a straw. Right. Who knew, right? Nature's so straw. nature's straw. So what they've done is they've, they've used rye because it's quite strong. Um, they've checked to make sure it's gluten-free and that they can sterilise it. And they're available now and cafes and places can buy boxes of, of these um, straws made by Mr Rye. So wow, so they're thick enough? They're thick enough, yeah. They, they, I don't think they... Um, that, you know, the, the diameter um, gets very broad, but, you know, mm. most liquids, I don't think really thick liquids, like maybe really, really thick, thick milk, yeah, then probably not. Thick shape, yeah, might, probably might. not. You, <laughs> might need, you might need a paper straw for that one. Yeah. But um, most things will go through those quite easily. So that's a, a very local um, example. Um, another example that I can give you, which is um, Australia-wider products made by a company called I Am Not Paper. Mm -hmm. um, and these are um, disposable cups and, and, you know, things that we need for for hot beverages and um, and they um, basically are using um, vegetable uh, pulp, not paper, not trees, because, you know, we don't want to be cutting down forests. Mm. We'd go from one, you know, disaster from another if we go from plastic to then using more of our forests to make these, these products. So they're using um, pulp, which is basically cellulose and some of those um, compounds. And it's similar to making paper, but they're not. They, they're using similar technology, but they've sort of tweaked it to use these vegetable fibres. And for example, we're using those in some of, you can see them in some of the outlets around the university. Yeah. Um, and they've got a little stamp on them that says, I'm, I am not paper. And they use vegetable inks if they want to make, you know, put logos and things on them. So that's another sort of South Australian example. And then the last one I can give you is much more global. And it's IKEA, right. and they've been really innovative. Um, so they've obviously, you know, um, all this flat pack furniture has to be packaged so that it stays safe and we don't get it all in a bashed up state. So they've really concentrated on their two main packaging items. So one is that they now use cardboard, which is corrugated, so that gives strength, mm -hmm. um, but it's made of 80% um, recycled um, cardboard already and it can be further recycled so that's one great thing that they're doing but the, the one that really caught my eye is this thing called myco composite which is actually a uh, packaging material made out of fungus and the, or mushrooms right? right I mean that's what we're familiar with the mushrooms and they take they take a, a vegetable fiber or a, um, a plant material like hemp or oat hulls or you know rice hulls or whatever and pack it into a mold and then they seed the fungus into the mould and get it to grow through, through, the, through all the material. And the mycelium actually sort of forms this net that he keeps everything together. Really? Yeah. And, and then they heat treat it to make sure that the, the fungus, had, had, there's no spores left. Mm -hmm. And that's what they use. And it's completely biodegradable. Um, it's you know, incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And because IKEA are, you know, a big name in, in something like furniture, they're leading the way and they're saying, well, this is possible. And they're swapping mm -hmm. all their stores over, I think there's over 400 around the world. So there's a really global solution that's, you know, um, happening now. That's awesome to hear. Mm. A lot of these processes, it sounds like, take um, take plant material and material that we're quite um, familiar with and then take it through a process to turn it into a packaging solution. Is that process economical and ecological in itself? I can imagine it, it requires a bit of energy and, and processing. Is it sustainable, the very process of that? 
I think we have to be careful. It's, mm. it's sustainable. We, we shouldn't jump, you know, out of the frying pan into the fire and just <laughs> say, well, be, just because we're using something that comes from plants, it's better. Um, you have to look at all of the levels of um, uh, energy expenditure, um, environmental cost, you know, where the materials are coming from, how they're disposed of, all those things. And it's, you've got to sort of really hook into that circular economy mm. and make sure that you're actually doing something that's, that's you know, not making the problem worse. And you do have to spend energy to, to you know, to pull these things apart. But, you know, can it be green energy, for example? Yeah. Um, uh, can we use recycled materials as well as new materials? Um, and, you know, really what is the environmental cost of this? And, mm. and some of it's not really tangible. So, you know, even though it might not look like it's sustainable from an economic point of view, um, if that's what customers are looking for and that's what customers are going to buy and it gives that X factor for a company, well, maybe it's worth investing in, in you know, making those mm. options available. So I think there's a lot of things to think about. It's quite complicated. Um, but hopefully, uh, as we get more used to it, uh, and um, as we get better at the processes, they'll they'll get you know cheaper mm. and, and easier, and, and we'll start thinking about how we can use the materials around us better. Yeah, it's yeah. exciting. It's a, it's a real space for creativity. It is. Yeah. So, as a plant molecular biologist, where do you fit within that process? What's your role? So, I'm very interested in being able to use the materials that grow on this planet. So, we mm. have a massive biomass. Um, every year we get some huge, you know, amount of what's called cellulosic biomass that grows. So 180 billion tonnes or something ridiculous. And, you know, we're not using a lot of that. So can we use that better? Can we recycle things, um, you know, in, in sustainable ways? And can we use crops um, that are sort of, you know, for multifunction? So we don't just use one part of a plant, we use all the parts of the mm. plant. And a good way to, to give an example is I'm very interested in hemp. So mm. that's a new crop that's coming and it's got really good fibres, which we can use in all sorts of um, materials. And I'm sure that you might know about, you know, the construction industry are using yeah, them. Yeah, we'll definitely get onto you know, that. So, um, but we can use the seeds for food. They're mm. highly nutritious. We can use the, it's a medicinal plant as well, so there's, there's options there. We can use it for fibre, we can use it to make into plastics, we can use it in this material that's being made um, by mm. IKEA. Um, you know, we can use the whole plant. So, uh, and that makes uh, the inputs that you need to grow the plant cheaper and they get, mm. you know, more economical. So, so what can we do with materials that are, that we're used to? How can we reframe them and repurpose them and, and you know, use them? Yeah. So that, that's where I get really excited about what we can do with, with mm. these materials. Don't throw it away. How can we use it? Yeah. Well, hemp sounds so versatile, as are a lot of other uh, what you've called emerging crops. Can you explain some other crops that you're particularly interested in and why? So another crop that I'm really excited about is agave. Mm -hmm. um, and some people will say, OK, well, I know agave because um, we use it to make um, spirits. So in Mexico, some agave is used to make tequila. So mm -hmm. that's, you know, what everybody's... Uh, familiar with but agave is an amazing plant it doesn't need that much water to survive in our environment it grows very happily in Australia because it's hot and dry um, but you know what what's left with all the bits and pieces um, once you've squeezed out all the sugar to make to make the um, alcohol and actually agave sisalana is what we make sisal from which is rope Oh. So all those fibres have, have, you know, been used for centuries to make to make materials. So is hemp, of course, since, mm. you know, whenever, uh, thousands of years ago. So 
Agave is, a, a, is something that we could probably use um, not only for um, human consumption in, in alcohol, we could use to make energy, mm -hmm. but we could also use it for bioplastics. We can use the fibres for materials. We can use um, the uh, biomass to make really good animal feed. It's fire retardant. Mm. You know, there's all these things that we can actually use it for and, and repurposing or looking at the waste and saying, okay, it's not waste. What can we do with it next? And sort of getting that pipeline in place is, you know, really exciting with yeah. these new crops. Turning trash into treasure, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And there's one other crop. I remember you mentioning. Yeah, so I work on Plantago as well, which yeah. makes psyllium, which mm. is, um, a, a, um, we're probably familiar with it because lots of people take it as a fibre, um, right. as a dietary fibre, um, and it's used in gluten-free foods. But one of the things that, you know, you can do with it, again, you can use it for biofilms, you can use it as a drug disintegrant, um, you know, and it's a, it's, a, it's a natural, organic, and if you grow it in Australia, it's grown here. Um, so there's, there's, you know, different things that you can do with right. the different components of the plant. Mm. So, And all of this is really with the purpose of creating some sustainable solutions that will cover us when the single-use bans come in and other reasons as well. Um, are there any, is there anything um, that consumers will have to sacrifice or I guess compromise on um, in order to see this happen and use these alternatives as opposed to what we're used to? So I guess, um, you know, we, we're quite lazy. Um, we go in the supermarket and we buy things that are already pre-packaged, you know, things arrive in the post or we go, you know, everything's got plastic around it. Um, do we do we actually need to have clear packaging, for example? Do we actually need to see what's in the box or can we, can we use cardboard more effectively? And I think there's a lot of companies going towards um, having, you know, very simple, plain packaging. It's still strong enough so that, what, you know, whatever you've got doesn't get bashed around inside. Yeah. Um, so maybe we're going to have to shift our perception of what, you know, what's reasonable. We're going to have to get a little bit less lazy and take maybe bags to the supermarket to reuse. Mm -hmm. So again, you know, the single-use plastics that are going to disappear are going to be those thin plastic bags. Um, and I think uh, we're just going to have to get more mindful of, of you know, what, what packaging is made of, where it goes, um, how we can be uh, better. And I think that... It's been used many for many years now, but reduce, reuse, recycle is as valid now as it ever has mm. been. And I think, you know, if we develop that um, uh, sort of awareness of what we're doing, then I don't think we're going to have to compromise. Anything, anything that is packaging for food is going to have to have meet safety regulations. So, you know, we won't be at risk. Um, there's going to have to be some clever, innovative people because some food stuffs are wet. You know, yeah. so what do you do with some of these um, packaging? But I think we're up to the challenge and I think consumers will welcome, um, you know, being able to actually make changes on a small scale so that they feel like, you know, they're not just helpless. Yeah, that's you know. such a good point. Mm. Um, what about, what springs to my mind is shelf life for some of these packaging solutions. Is that going to change? Will we have to be used, will we have to become uh, more used to, uh, I guess, updating our packaging on a more regular basis or will that not be compromised? Um, so I think that some things that have short shelf life are not going to be a problem but don't forget there's always we're not we don't just have plastic in our society we also have glass 
yeah. and tins and sure. you know other packaging materials so um, some of those things aren't going to have to change. Mm -hmm. um, I think it might be a challenge to to try and um, package uh, wet things. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I know that um, some of these um, single-use cutleries that are made of different um, materials will start to uh, disintegrate after 30 minutes, so you have to eat your meal yeah. before your yeah. starts <laughs> melting into your, yeah. <laughs> into your dinner. Sure. But um, I think there's going to be I think there's going to be enough variety that we will be able to cope with things like shelf life. Right, that's so exciting. Mm. That's a huge uh, a, a huge improvement in our community coming up for the for the next in the next few years i hope so i look forward to it it's going to be exciting to see what um, it is. we come up with yeah well yeah. thank you for your involvement in that that's really exciting that's right. and jan you are from the school of architecture and built environment at the uni of adelaide can you describe to us some of the ways in which the construction industry is becoming more sustainable sure uh yeah, construction industry uh, play a quite important role in achieving sustainability goal in, in any kind of scale from building to community to city to the whole nation. Um, uh, if we take uh, like a brick, a piece of brick as example, if you look at, you know, the, from the very beginning, we, we dig in a certain amount of clay out mm -hmm. and then we send to a factory and uh, we use a lot of energy and water to make it uh, a piece of brick. And then we send it to the warehouse and we send it to the, the site and put them together in a nice looking house. 30, 40, 50 years later, you know, we may choose to lock it down. I'm not advocating for that, but <laughs> some people choose to do that. And then that brick, uh, in many cases, been broken and then will be, sorry to say that, but you know, in many cases, been sent to the landfill because mm. it cannot be used, uh, uh, reused again. Uh, having said that, there are some businesses are trying to reuse the brick. So what they do is they just connect the brick and just clean the mortar and then essentially can be reused again. Mm. But quite a large percentage of the construction waste being sent to the landfill are uh, those masonry waste like bricks, concrete, etc. So as you can see, the whole, the whole process is quite um, energy intensive. Uh, also, we use quite a lot of water. And timber is a quite good uh, uh, alternative that essentially is a carbon sink, whereas the metal ones like aluminium um, uh, steel, they are very much uh, energy intensive um, in the um, production uh, space. Mm -hmm. So with a lot of energy during that space. So uh, these kinds of materials have a lot of uh, kind of um, carbon embodied in carbon emission uh, built into that. So, uh, so that's the reason the uh, this waste and also the environmental uh, aspect has drawn a lot of attention. Um, a lot of uh, initiatives have been put forward, like uh, Green Building Council Australia has a rating tool for green buildings, has been specifying the percentage of the material to be reused in the project and get a certain amount of uh, credits, for example, which is right. quite nice. Mm -hmm. So if the client wants to say, uh, we want six-star green star building, they can simply specify that to the engineers and architects saying we want this 20-30% uh, percentage of the materials are reused or recycled from elsewhere. Mm. So, uh, so, this, uh, this, uh, this, uh, so there's a challenge and there's a, there's a solution. So, um, but if you look at that, you know, back to 20-30 years ago, you know, what we've been putting together, we're still very nice looking house over there, building over there. It's just a matter of people's mindset about how we can to 
treat these kind of uh, buildings and also treat those materials being coming out of the construction and demolition processes uh, to make it more environmentally sustainable. Right. And yeah. does that process um, cost a little bit extra for the builder? Having yeah. those six stars or five star? There are general uh, percentage. Uh, uh, there's a lot of different studies. So the, the, the figure range from probably 10% to 30% right. of the capital cost, which means the cost putting together. But that's why I think Rachel was also talking about the, the, the costing that is not necessarily about the cost we put this in together, but also a long-term perspective, mm. you know, that 30, 40 years later, if we talk about, you know, environmental tax to be introduced, that could mm. be changed the entire um, um, uh, space. Well, uh, you probably have heard this land levy, landfill levy has yeah. been updated. So it has been increased to about 144 dollars per town. Right, so can you describe that landfill levy a little bit more? Sure, so um, so if we build a house for example and normally we have like a skip bin mm -hmm. and to uh, so the builder can put everything generated uh, waste generated from the process to input into the bin right. and at the end of the day somebody will come to pick up the bin and we'll look at what's inside the bin if it's recyclable, it'll be sent to the recyclable uh, recycling plant, like a timber, uh, even some of the concrete, uh, the steel bar, uh, reinforced uh, concrete bars can be reused, recycled. But for uh, steel, uh, quite a lot actually been sent to the landfill. So uh, what they do is they send to the, uh, what they call the uh, weight bridge of the uh, recycling business. So they can check if it's clean or unclean. And if this has to be sent to the landfill, they just send uh, weight the the amount, like you know, a thousand tons, for mm -hmm. example, and then just times of one hundred forty-four dollars per right. ton. So they actually have a big bill to be paid. So there's a huge incentive to Absolutely. reduce the waste. Absolutely. And I can imagine that that does tie quite nicely to packaging because there'd be yep. huge amounts of packaging involved in that process. Glass panes, things that need to be secure and safe. Yep. Oh yeah, and the um, uh, the doors, windows. Yeah. Uh, if you notice that. Uh, let me think, uh, the Urban Nest uh, mm -hmm. student apartments, they uh, use quite a lot of um, uh, uh, window products that have the glass and frames all together. Yeah. So as a result, they have to be very careful in the transportation to not to break it. Mm. So to uh, prevent any, uh, any damage during mm. the transportation, they actually have to wrap it up by plastic quite heavily. Mm. I've, we've seen not probably not three, not four, probably five layers of plastic wrapping. Just try to prevent any mm. damage yeah. of that. So we do, there is a real incentive to find alternatives for that, even mm. just to decrease the landfill mm. levy. And of course, all the, the benefits for the environment as well. Right, so can you describe some other techniques and initiatives um, involved in the uh, recycled plastic space in the, in sure. the construction industry? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I can I can talk about a couple of uh, examples. Uh, the first one is um, uh, a business called um, Advanced uh, Plastic Recycling Composite. Uh, so what they do is uh, they connect uh, the wine, uh, sorry, the pine wood uh, waste uh, anywhere. Like you know, when you have the timber frame in the right. house, normally you have uh, off cuts. This in sort of un un inevitable, um, unless you have very precise you know, uh, design. Um, 
but normally we have the off cards and then this well cannot be reused again in the construction projects. So what they do is source them and make it uh, like a like a pet, like a flower, like wood flower. Yeah. And then they source the um, the plastic waste from um, like what we we always drink milk. So it's not two little uh, milk bottles. Yeah. Um, but what they receive is not the, the bottle itself because there's a supply chain. I think Rachel also talked a bit about it. You know, um, so there's a, a certain businesses in the supply chain. They take this milk bottle and then manufacture into a, 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 a pellet. So uh, basically, this business uh, take these pellets and then melt it uh, together with the wood flour and then use the high pressure and high temperature to make it into the like building components. Right. So what we have seen is like bonnets, like in you know, the garden, decking, uh, wheel stopper, all these kind of, you know, of, um, uh, kind of components can be used by those kind of materials. Right. And so they would yeah. feel like a hybrid between plastic and wood. And, and wood. Yeah. yeah, right. And so what kind of, you've, you've mentioned like benches or components yeah. to a building and how many uh, can you give us a quantifiable idea sure. of how many, say, milk bottles would yep. be needed for a bench? Yeah, for uh, what they call eco bench, which means they use the, this kind of uh, materials to mm. make the bench. So roughly for each bench, they use about about 1,000, probably quite not quite, but 980 uh, bottles, uh, like two little uh, milk bottles, right. so, which is quite huge. If you take into account the volume, it's about 2.7 uh, cubic meters. Uh, of the plastic in terms of volume. So that's a huge. And that's great because there'd mm. be thousands and thousands of those bottles lying around. Mm. Yeah. That's incredible. That's so clever. Yeah. What about, um, I know you've talked to me briefly about asphalt. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the second example is, uh, is it another local business called Donut? Or oh, it's not just local, they have the businesses elsewhere, even globally. Uh, so what they do is they, um, they produce the asphalt. Mm. So they have the asphalt mix in place. So what they do is to actually introduce the, um, the printer cartridge and also the soft plastic bags into the Ashfield mix. Mm. So by doing that, A, we can, rather than sending this to the landfill, we can actually use it in the Ashfield. Uh, and B, we can re replace you know, those materials we normally will put into the Ashfield mix. So we actually achieve double benefits mm. of that. Uh, so, and the other thing what they're doing is quite interesting is what they call the re, re, reclaim the bitumen uh, from the uh, recycling the Ashfield. So, because they are uh, Ashfield pro, uh, producer or manufacturer, so they do need to use the bitumen quite a lot. By taking back those uh, Ashfield um, from the repair or maintenance, they actually can reclaim quite a big percentage of the bitumen from that process. Beautiful, so many benefits. And that, uh, and bear in mind that a large percentage of our bitumen we source from overseas. Right, So okay. by doing that, we can cut the, the carbon emission from like transportation, you know, a lot of them come from the sea, tra yeah. sea uh, transport. Yeah. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. And so what do your um, personal research efforts, um, where do they sort of fit into all of this amazing stuff going on? Sure. Uh, so, because I'm, uh, I'm I'm very interested in the how to achieve the sustainable construction. So, uh, we recognize, or well, it's well recognized, is uh, this cannot be achieved by single person or even single mm. type of business. So, we we see this as an opportunity that um, everyone in this kind of ecosystem they can we can work together. And uh, and one of the important thing I think Richard also talked about is the, the, the this kind of business model or the 
recognition of the value mm. of doing each piece of in this uh, supply chain or in, in the ecosystem. So um, um, what I'm very interested in trying to do is to look at as a, as a, as a holistic approach to look at how this individual uh, component can work together holistically to achieve that goal. Right, so you're kind of pulling in all the moving yeah. parts together and trying yeah. to... It's very dynamic and uh, yeah. Richard also talking about this, you know, about quite different stakeholders involved, you know, right. every stakeholder make a move and that may motivate other people to make yeah. a move. So it's, it's not one plus one, it's actually going to be quite uh, dynamic, yeah. so, which would be quite interesting to see. Yeah. Wow, Jeanne, it sounds incredibly uh, complex, that there's lots of moving parts, but that it's really hopeful and exciting. It's incredible work that you do in the construction space, um, and Rachel as well, the single-use plastics and all those incredible alternatives. It's exciting to know that SA is um, at the very forefront of all of that exciting stuff going on. So thank you for your time on the Discovery Pod today, and thank you for your great work. Thanks for listening to the Discovery Pod, brought to you by the University of Adelaide. Join us next week when we discuss cancer research.